Well, I'm going to ask that you would open your Bibles to the book of 1 Peter this morning. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, there's Bibles in the pew rack in front of you. And we're going to be on page 1017 in those pew Bibles. 1 Peter chapter 5. And I want to look at this under the heading of Things My Mom Taught Me. It's not per se a Mother's Day message, but a reminder of some of the simple truths and themes that Peter's going to share in our lesson this morning that uh, my mom uh, taught me over and over again, and we'll address each of those here uh, this morning. We're in a series that we've entitled Strangers in a Strange Land. We're coming to the end of it. We've been in it for over 25 weeks now, and so as a church, we've been enjoying what we've been learning from the book of First Peter, and we're going to be finishing it up here in the month of May. I'm not sure if I'm going to break the last uh, passage uh, into two weeks or just finish it up next week. I'll be working on that, but uh, in June, we'll be starting a five-week series out of the Old Testament book of Haggai uh, entitled Consider Your Ways. So we'll go from a 25-plus week sermon series down to a five-week one, and so we uh, just hope and pray that this uh, message series has been an encouragement uh, to you this morning. So let's go ahead and stand for the reading of God's Word as we look at 1 Peter chapter 5, verses uh, 5 through 11. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you, Lord, and we thank you for the blessing of mothers this morning. We pray that you would bless them and encourage them. You would protect them and watch over them, Lord. We thank you for the diligence and the service that they have done for us and for you, Lord. I pray, Lord, that we would be a, a true blessing, not only today, uh, but a blessing each and every day, that we would be grateful, that we would be kind that we would encourage them often, Lord, for the blessing they've been to us. Now, Lord, as we turn to your scripture this morning, we are reminded of themes that our own earthly mothers have taught us over and over again. Lord, we learn about humility today, the importance that humility plays in the heart of the believer. We look to the issue of adversity, Lord, as we talk about our enemy, the devil, and, Lord, we're reminded of the security that we find in you. And so, Lord, I pray that these truths that we've learned in our families, these truths that we've learned in our time together, Lord, would change and renew us. Lord, that we'd be ready for a new week, whether in school or in work, in our neighborhoods and in our homes, Lord, that we truly would be a vibrant and healthy people who serve you and you alone. In Christ's name we pray, amen. You may be seated. As Peter closes out his letter of 1 Peter, we come to the end of chapter 5, and Peter shares some words 
that I think remind me a great deal of words that my mom shared. Things like humility and adversity and the issue of security. Each one of these were things that I am so thankful my mom taught me throughout my years. I am blessed to have a mom who absolutely loves God. I am blessed to have a mom who showed me what it was like to love the unlovable as she loved my dad. I am blessed. That was a joke, by the way. You didn't laugh. I am blessed by the opportunity to have a mom who has loved me despite all my frailties and faults, all of my uh, times where she has had to come and bail me out of trouble. I have a mom who has shown me what it means to love as Christ loved us. And she's taught me a lot about humility. She's taught me a lot about adversity. You see, my mom has honored God in her successes, but she's also honored God in the sorrows of life. My mom lost her firstborn son at the age of 16 years of age, and she showed me what it was like to honor God in the good times and in the bad. She has shown me what it is to love as she has shown love to my wife and to my children, and I am blessed to have a wonderful mom, and I am all the more blessed to have a wife who does all of that and so much more for me as a husband. Let us not grow weary in showing our mothers how much love we have for them. We are a wonderful church because we have wonderful moms and women in the church who serve the body of Christ well. And Peter shares some words that I think a lot of our moms taught us. Our moms teach us a lot, don't they? Let me share some things that my mom taught me. I was supposed to, Amanda said, when I shared with what I was going to be talking about, she said, say the nice things first and then have some fun with the moms. And so that's what I'm doing. I'm being a good husband who listens to his wife. But my mom has taught me some things, and I think she, they have taught you some things as well. Our moms taught us to appreciate a work well done. If you're going to kill each other, do it outside because I just finished cleaning. My mom told me, religion, you better pray that it will come out of the carpet. She taught me time travel. I heard this a lot as a kid. If you don't straighten up, I'm going to knock you into the middle of next week. She taught me logic because I said so. That's why. She taught me the importance of foresight. Make sure you wear clean underwear in case you're in an accident. She taught me irony. Go ahead and keep crying because I'll give you something to cry about. She taught me the science of osmosis. Shut your mouth and eat your supper. She taught me stamina. You sit there until all your vegetables are gone. She taught me about weather. Looks like the room you live in has a tornado going through it. She taught me about hypocrisy. If I've told you once, I've told you a million times. Don't exaggerate. She taught me about the circle of life. I brought you into this world and I can take you out. She taught me about envy. There are millions of less fortunate children in this world who don't have a wonderful mom like you do. She taught me about anticipation. You just wait until we get home. She taught me about genetics. You're just like your father. And my favorite one, and I've heard this a lot, she's taught me about justice. One day when you have kids, I hope they turn out to be just like you. Our moms teach us a lot. And Peter has a word for us this morning that's very uh, mom-like, a word that reminds us about who we are and what we are called to do in a world of trouble and pain and sorrow amidst adversity that we are called to rise above that 
because we can know and recognize that our God in heaven has securely placed us in his hands. And so this morning I want to look, if we desire to be a vibrant group of Christians, if we desire to be healthy followers of Jesus Christ, we need to listen to these motherly words from Peter. And notice the first one this morning in our outline is, is if we want to live that kind of life and experience that kind of blessing that involves humbling yourself under God's mighty hand. It involves humbling yourself under God's mighty hand. Notice verse 5 this morning. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Four times in two verses, Peter uses the word humble. Do you think Peter is wanting to focus in on this word humility? You better believe it. He wants to drive this into our heads and into our lives that humility is of great importance. My mom taught me what humility was like. She taught me that it was not good to live this life as an arrogant and proud individual. And that came from God. That God desires for us to be a humble people. And so what Peter begins to address is he says we as Christians must be a humble people. Well, what does that word humble or humility mean? Literally in the Greek, it means to bring back to ground level. To bring back to ground level. Some of you right now are way too high on yourself. Far too many of us find ourselves on level 8, 9, and 10 when we should be on the lobby floor because that's where God wants us. You see, humility is something that's hard to break or is hard to gain. Pride is a hard thing to break. One of the hardest lessons I've had to learn is the issue of humility. You see, right when I started to preach, I, I was having some human success in my life, if you will, in the way of ministry and all that. And someone came and wanted to affirm me in my role and affirm the ministry that I was doing. And I remember they came up to me after a, a service and they said, wow, Tim, you really are really a good preacher. You do great work with ministries. Everything you touch turns to gold. And I remember sitting there thinking, wow, I remember my shoulders moved back a little bit. My head tipped up a little bit. I felt really good about myself. Wow, someone's really noticing the hard work. And, and they're right. I am doing a good job. And I remember getting in the car just kind of ruminating on that. That just sounds really good. That makes your Sunday feel really good. And I remember saying, you know, they're right. I am doing a good job. They're right. I am really good at what I do. And I remember having a bad taste in my mouth when I said that. But sometimes pride begins to take away your common sense. And I remember for a while there, I just loved thinking about that. When I was down, I would think about those words of that individual. Until God said, you know what, son? You're a couple levels too high. I need to bring you back down to ground level. And in a matter of less than a year, God would work in my life where he would take away my joy. He would take away my ability to do ministry without him totally involved. And you know what God would remind me every time I found myself at the end of myself? How you doing there, Midas touch boy? How you doing there? How's that turning to gold going on? And God reminded me and God taught me humility. Humility is a bitter pill for us to swallow. Here in our life and in our world today, the world 
elevates pride and arrogance. The idea that we are number one. The idea that we are important. The idea that we come before everybody else. But the scriptures make it abundantly clear. Humility is the name of the game if you want to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Now notice a couple things about these words that we see in the text. The issue of humility. That word is found in what Greeks, uh, what English uh, language people would say is the aorist imperative. What that means is that we must pursue this humility right away. Not when we grow older, not next week, but right now. We need to once and for all make a decision that we are going to pursue the humility that God has called us to live in. He notice, notice he also says it is to be done and how he articulates this is what we call in passive voice, which means you can't get humble on your own. You need someone else to help you. And the only person that can help you with humility is God. Notice what he says. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. You want to be a humble individual? Then you need to stand before God and say, God, I need you. As we've sung this morning, I need you. Every hour I need you. And until you do that, pride and arrogance will see its way through your life. Now notice... What this means is we need to no longer assess ourselves through our own eyes, but through the eyes of God. What you need to do is you need to say, God, I am not going to assess who I am according to my own thoughts, because what we do is we look at another person's life and we try to compare ourselves with someone else. And of course you're going to look better than that person next to you. You usually find the absolute worst person in the room and you compare yourself with them. You say, well, I'm doing really well. Look at my life's together. Look at the job I have. Look at the money that's in my bank account. Compared to those people, life is good. But God says you want to be humble. Start defining yourself according to God's definition. And when you begin to do that, you begin to get a lot smaller and God begins to get a lot bigger. Now notice what this humility involves. Number one, it involves surrendering your status. Instead of pursuing your own agenda, your own pursuits, instead of pursuing what you want at the expense of others, you give up your prerogatives for the sake of others. Now why is humility so important? Because the Bible tells us it was at the heart of Jesus. Jesus, who was in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But he humbled himself, taking on the form or nature of a servant. He learned obedience, obedience even involving death on a cross. You see, we need to understand that at the very heart of Jesus Christ is a heart of humility. So a follower of Jesus Christ, Peter says, must be a humble follower of Jesus Christ. You see, Christ had to learn humility. Now that seems odd because God seemingly knows all. God did not understand humility in an experiential way until he put on flesh. He did not understand. Why? Because God's not a humble God. God is a proud God. God is a gloried God. God revels in who he is and what he has done. And Jesus put on flesh. He came to this earth and he humbled himself. He suffered by the very nature of coming in the incarnation, by putting on skin and living like one of us. He learned humility. You and I need to learn humility as well. Now, Peter had learned humility. It would take a major fall. It would take when he would tell in front of all his disciples, he would tell Jesus, everybody else will fall away, but not me, Jesus. 
I'm there to the end. I'm there. I'm going to stick with you. And then Jesus has to turn to him and say, Peter, before this night is through, you'll, you'll uh, disown me three times. He learned humility. He learned that lesson of humility. The scriptures tell us that he went outside of Jerusalem and he wept bitterly because he began to learn and understand humility. This heart of service. We talked a couple weeks ago about humility literally is putting on the apron of service. He had learned that from Jesus. When Jesus, in the end of John, begins to share with Peter, hey, if you want to be fully restored in my kingdom, then serve my lambs, serve my sheep, tend to them, feed them, be humble. Don't lord it over them, but with compassion and love, minister to them as you minister to God. I like how the Amplified Bible puts this verse, humble yourselves, therefore, that is, lower yourselves in your own estimation. We need to surrender the status that we think that we have. But notice it goes beyond that. It involves casting our cares on him. Before we address the end of verse 6, the mighty hand of God, we have to go to verse 7. And verse 7 says that one of the ways Peter tells us that humility is going to be fleshed out in our lives is dealing with anxiety and worry. You see, the proud try to right every wrong. And if you want to know, you know, I know some of you are thinking as I do, well, I'm not that proud. I don't think very highly of myself. I don't have to be the one that is talked about all the time. I don't need my name in the lights. I'm not a very proud person. Well, let me change the definition for you. Are you the one who tries to fix everything? When trouble comes, are you looking to how you are going to fix it? When anxiety and worry comes, are you trying to address those issues in your own strength and in your own way? Peter says that the arrogant and the proud will hold on to their worries, will hold on to their anxieties, but the humble will cast their concerns onto God. But what does he mean by this word anxiety? The Greek word there for anxiety literally means to divide. Isn't that what worries and cares do to us? They divide us. We may be physically at a birthday party or at a celebration, but anxiety and worry have us at a funeral inside where we're brokenhearted, where we're dealing with the concerns and the ills of this world, where we find ourselves divided. Anxiety and worry distract our thinking. They disrupt our peace. They disturb our souls. It has been said that anxiety and worry gives a small thing a big shadow. It is like a rocking chair, someone said, of worry. It gives you something to do, but it gets you nowhere. It's also been said by Oswald Chambers, a, a faithful pastor. He said about worry and anxiety, it is an indication that we think God can't look after us. Let me say that again, because that's where the pride comes. When we worry, when we are anxious, and we don't give those things to God, Chambers says it is an indication that we think God can't look after us. There's not more proud of a statement than that. God, I have to worry about it because you're not. I have to deal with it, God, because you're not. That's pride. That's arrogance. It's not humility. J.R. Rice said this about uh, the issue of anxiety. It is putting a question mark where God puts a period. That's why the psalmist reminds us in Psalm 55, 22, Cast your burden upon the Lord, for he will sustain you. He will never allow the righteous to be shaken. 
Now notice, Peter says, and this is very important, that Peter doesn't tell you to stop worrying about things, okay? He doesn't say that your worries and your concerns, they're just made-up things, that they're, they're not real. No, I love the realism of the scriptures. Peter says there are things to worry about. There are things to be anxious about. And what worries and anxiety remind us of is that there are important things in our lives. I told the first service this. I'll tell you guys it as well. I don't worry, and I am not anxious about the Chicago White Sox. I don't care. Okay? I have no worries about them. I don't lose sleep, whether they're winning or losing. They're doing a lot of losing, by the way, right now. I don't have any concerns about them. They're not important to me. But I worry about my family. I worry about my kids. I worry about the church. Many of you know I run a business as well. I worry about that. I worry about finances. I worry about my health and my family's health. Why? Because those things are important. Peter is not saying that your worries and your anxieties aren't important. What he's saying is they're so important, they're so central to who you are, that you need to put them in the right spots. Isn't that great that Peter announces that? He says, hey, what you are concerned about, what you are worried about, it is important stuff. It isn't like God's sitting there saying, oh, who really cares? Come on, but all. Who really cares about those things? No, God says, they're important to you. That means they're important to me. And what I want you to do is I want you to put them on me. Now, notice the word there is what he says is that we need to cast them to him. A poem was once written that said, I've walked life's path with worry, disturbed and quite unblessed, until I trusted Jesus. Now faith has given rest. You see, one of the reasons why we don't give our concerns over to God is we don't trust him with them. We don't think he can handle them. We don't think that he maybe is concerned about them. One of the reasons why we show ourselves as prideful is we think we can do a better job than God can with our issues. And so a choice has to be made. And that choice is when I have anxiety, when I have worry, am I going to hold them onto myself and try to deal with them from a place of pride and arrogance, or am I going to put them on to God. That word cast there is an important word. Peter's a fisherman and Peter's using vernacular from his fisherman days. What he's saying is I want you to cast them. Now now we think uh, cast fishermen that, that he's what he's saying is, is just take the, the line and, and cast it out as a fisherman does. Well that's not the kind of fisherman that Peter was. They used nets and that when they would be on the boat, they had nets that had rocks attached to them. And what they would do is they would take those big nets and they would cast them into the water. And the rocks would then bring it down to the bottom of the lake. And they would, with a, a rope, pull in their catch of what has taken place. What, what Peter is saying is you need to release by throwing off the nets of anxiety in your life. You need to let them go. You need to release them into God's hands. This, script, this word, a casting, uh, was used on the day of Palm Sunday when they found the donkey that Jesus was going to ride and they threw upon them claws for Jesus to sit on the donkey. The idea is releasing something onto something else. 
I've seen this, and I see this idea of casting every Monday morning. Uh, there's a man that always comes to our, our house. He drives a big green truck with the words waste management on the side of it. And he comes up, and on the side are all of our, uh, all of our garbage. And he takes it, and he literally casts it into the truck. You see, you need to understand your worries and concerns, they're not to stay like our garbage on our front yard, in our front yard. They're to be cast into the proper place. And just as garbage goes into the garbage truck, worries and care for the believer don't stay in your life. They get hurled, they get tossed, they get cast into the arms of God. And if you can't do that, then I can tell you right now that pride and arrogance is what's keeping you from doing it. Peter says humility will allow you to give your cares to God. The idea here of cares isn't just uh, this little care here and this little care there, but all of the cares of life, you take life and you cast it into the hands of God. You give it to God. Now the scriptures talk about this. Jesus on the uh, Sermon on the Mount said, hey, why do you worry about what you're going to wear? Why do you worry about what you're going to eat? Look at the birds in the sky. Look at the flowers on the ground. Don't they have everything that they need? Don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about today. You seek first my kingdom and my righteousness, and everything you need will be given unto you. You let me worry about it. You stay faithful. You stay true to my word, and I will take care of the rest. You and I need to cast our cares, anxieties, the things that distract and divide. We need to give them to him. Why? Because he cares for us. God loves you. God cares for you. If you're a child of his, God has promised to be there, that he will never leave you nor forsake you. No matter what your care, no matter what your concern is, God is there, and he has a genuine care for you. Your worries and cares are important to him because you're important to him. My youngest son came with some worries, and they were some pretty dumb worries. He said, he said to me, Dad, my, my chain fall, fell off my bike and he, said, and he was so downtrodden. And Dad, I, I'm having a bad day. Why, son, my chain came off my bike, Dad. And my heart broke for the kid because he's my son. And I don't want my son to be downtrodden over a broken chain. So he went and fixed it. He was right in coming because he knew his dad cared for him. But here's the thing that we need to understand about God's care. If we are going to cast our anxieties on him, we must then not only surrender our status and cast our cares on him, but we have to trust his timing. Notice back in verse 6, it says that we must therefore humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God so at the proper time he may exalt you. You see what we do, and this is where pride comes in, worry and anxiety hits us, and we're concerned. And we say, okay, God, I'll give it to you, but I need it fixed by Monday. God, I'll give it to you, but here is how you have to fix it. You have to do it my way. Do you hear the arrogance in that? Do you hear the pride that comes from that? And you say, well, I don't say that, but we believe that. God, I've got this medical issue. You have to fix it, and you have to fix it now. I've got this financial issue. I've got this issue with my child or my spouse. Lord, I need you to fix it in this way. There's pride and there's arrogance in there. What we need to do is we need to give, we need to throw off our cares and anxieties onto God, 
and say, God, in your way and in your timing, you'll deal with it. And I'm okay with however you deal with it. I'm okay with whatever you do with it. Many of you know that this is not my only job, but I also run a catering company. And so I know what it means to worry. And these last years haven't been all that easy. They've been up and down, and you wonder, are you going to have to lay off people? Are you going to have to maybe consider even closing down at times? It's a scary time. There's a lot of uncertainty. And yet, about five years ago, I got tired of staying up late wondering about my business. And I finally went to God, and I humbled myself, and I said, God, you know what? Five B's catering is yours. It's not mine. You've got to make it work. You've got to be the one that lets the phone rings. You've got to allow me to uh, have the opportunities that I have. And so I'm giving it to you because I can't worry about all this stuff and be an effective follower of Jesus if I'm worrying all the time about business. Can I tell you how freeing that has been? How freeing it's been to recognize that the world doesn't revolve around pork chops. That my eternity isn't staked on how good business is or isn't. That my eternity is staked on the almighty power of God who has saved me. And when I rejoice in that, when I revel in that, I'll tell you what, it's a whole lot easier to go to work each day. God, if you want to bless me and give me two times of business, I'll praise you. God, you want to close this thing down, I'm going to praise you. Because my life doesn't revolve around my concerns and anxieties. They revolves around you. That's where we need to be. That's where we need to be. And we need to trust God's timing within that. What a word for these people. That God in his right time would exalt them. These people that were under persecution, these people that had concerns, these people that had issues and struggles, just like us today, that God one day will exalt us. And I want to tell you, it may not be in this world. Some of you are suffering right now. You're enduring hardships, and God may not exalt you during this life. He can. It's totally within his prerogative to do so. God may not right every wrong in this world in this world. But here's the truth that we know. Jesus Christ lived his life. He endured hardship. He struggled. He went to the cross, enduring all that reviling, enduring all that uh, terrible torment that the world threw at him. And it wasn't until Christ had been faithful to the very end that he was exalted to the highest place, that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow and every tongue would confess. You see, some of us have this idea that our good days are coming in the here and now. We're never promised that, but we're promised one day when we stand in glory that he will wipe away every tear and we will have no more pain, no more sorrow, and we will once and for all, for all of eternity, live at peace with our God. It is on that day that we will be exalted. It will be on that day that we will be told, well done, good and faithful servant. But notice... Between now and then, Peter says we've got to brace for the battle. Notice our second thing this morning. We need to brace for the battle. As if anxiety isn't enough, we need to understand that Peter is reminding these people there's plenty more to be worried about. Peter's readers, we know that Peter wrote this about 65 to 67 A.D., we know that by A.D. 70, some 35 years after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, with a little sorry to it, all hell is going to break loose. Things are going to get bad for the believers. 
We know that Nero is going to come to power. This is history. This is not made-believe. This is history. Nero is going to come to power, and he is going to unleash an absolute persecution all over the Roman Empire. That Christians would be arrested, and if that wasn't bad enough, they would be hung up on street lamps, and they would put uh, oil onto them, and they would light them aflame to light the streets of Rome. You think that they had some bad days coming? They would be locked up. Their, their stuff would be taken from them. They would be in prison. Peter himself, tradition tells us, that he would be put into prison and then be crucified upside down for standing for Christ. For 250 years, the church would endure an unbelievable amount of persecution. And yet what Peter tells us is he reminds us that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. It's not Nero we have to worry about. It's not uh, the uh, cold, heartless world that we live in that we have to worry about. But we have to worry about the devil, this beast who wants to tear us from limb to limb. Peter reminds us of this truth. Notice what he says. We have an opponent. He says, just as our mothers did, that we need to be careful. There's a bad world out there. My mom used to tell me about stranger danger. I laugh at my, uh, my brother and sister-in-laws and my wife. Their mom used to tell them, when in doubt, honk if you don't know who the person is. And I can just imagine these kids going around honking like geese, okay? I don't know who this is, honk, honk. And I'm like, what kind of mom tells their kids to honk? But that's what they did. She was concerned about them. And moms are, secure, uh, secu uh, are um, concerned about adversity, and Peter likewise is, and he says, you've got an opponent, Christian. Your opponent, he says, is an adversary. That Greek word there literally means of an attorney who is prosecuting against you. So get what Peter's saying here. He says there's a courtroom theme going on. And what's happening is your devil, the devil, your enemy, is doing everything in his power to go after you. What he's trying to do in the end is condemn you. As the prosecuting attorney, he wants to prove to the judge who is God and to the jury, the watching world, that you are guilty, you're not innocent. And so he is throwing everything at you that he can. He's doing it to discredit you and condemn you. He does this because he can't fight against God. So the only thing he can do is make God look bad by making you look bad. So what does he do? He lives up to his name. The word devil literally means accuser or slanderer. Literally it means to riddle with accusation. Right now, the devil is actively accusing the people of God to God. God, do you see what your people are doing? God, do you see what that but all does when he's not preaching? How can he be your children? How can they be your children? How can he be your son? And he goes about roaring, it says. The idea of roaring, uh, a lion roars with greater frequency when it's hungry. And so here's the devil. He's hungry. And he's prowling around. He's on all fours and he's little by little looking. And he's also very quiet, waiting to devour you. That word devour means literally to gulp up, to swallow. He wants to tear you from limb to limb and then he wants to swallow you. Wonderful words on a Mother's Day, isn't it? Be encouraged. So how does he do it? He's trying to trick you. He's trying to trip you up and he's trying to overtake you. Paul says that he does so as an angel of light. That he masquerades. 
He deceives. He did that with our parents in the Garden of Eden, and he does that today. How does he do it? He takes that which is evil, and he calls it good. Just look at the world. The world's following a system. That in our world which is evil is now called good, and the good that is in our world is called evil. You think the devil's gotten away with it? You better believe it. He tells you you deserve it. He tells you if it feels good, then you need to do it. He tells you lies, and he tries to tell you that God doesn't care about you, that he isn't concerned about your well-being, that he doesn't want what's best for you. And so we fall to his schemes, and as a result of that, we get devoured. So we need to recognize that if we are going to brace for the battle, it involves standing against the devil's schemes. How do we do it? How do we stand against it? Notice the text says, be sober-minded and be watchful. Peter says that if we are going to stand strong against the devil, these two truths must be there. Sober-mindedness and to be alert or watchful. The idea here is twofold. When he says sober-minded, what Peter says is don't be drunk. Not per se, he's not speaking of physical intoxication, but he's speaking about a drunkenness that just is stammering along Going throughout life with no concern because you're intoxicated with the things of this world. And some of you as followers of Jesus Christ are so infatuated with the world that you don't even see the devil coming because you've bought into all that's going on. You've got no filter when you watch TV. You've got no filter when you pursue entertainment. You've got no filter when it comes to the people that you're hanging out with and the kind of things that they're um, uh, moving into your life and putting into your life. There's no filter there. And as a result of that you are ready to be destroyed by the devil and you have no clue about it because you're drunk on the things of this world. But then he says, also, because then, because then there's some of you who say, yeah, what's your problem, guys? You drunks that are out there, you're pursuing all these things. I'm not doing that. Peter's got a word for you as well because he says, be watchful or alert. Peter's using the phrase that Jesus uses and Peter probably is cringing as he's writing it. Remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus says, watch and pray. Peter says the same thing. And what happened when Peter didn't watch and pray? He fell asleep. You see, some of you aren't drunk on the things of this world. You're asleep right now. And let me tell you why. Because you think that you're protected because you're in a good church. Well, that's important. The devil can't do something there. And maybe you've isolated yourself from the things of this world and say, you know, my kids aren't a part of bad things and, and, and maybe we've got them in places that they don't have to worry about what they're taught or, or what they're seeing. We don't have a TV in our house, so we don't have to worry about that. Let me tell you something. Whether you're consuming the things of this world or you think you've built the parameters that are important of protection, don't ever fall asleep. Because no matter what protection and parameters you put around your children or yourself, the devil can still get in. And we need to be ready for that. And we need to understand that it means to be sober-minded, not consuming everything with no filter in our minds. And we also need to understand that no matter how many human protections we put around those we love and ourselves, the devil is a crafty. He's more crafty than all of the creatures he can get to you. And so we need to be ready for it. And that's why it's so important that we spend time with one another. You see, the devil will always look for the weakest link. Just watch the Discovery Channel. You'll learn this. He always goes after the one that's by itself. 
the lion always goes after the little one, the one that's wandered away from the flock. I want you to write down something. I don't advertise videos very often, but one of my favorite YouTube videos of all time is called The Battle at Kruger. Write that down, The Battle at Kruger, K-R-U-G-E-R. It is a battle in Africa between a group of wildebeest and a pride of lions. The wildebeest don't have a chance. And let me tell you something. You by yourself don't have a chance against the devil. But what you'll see in that seven or eight minute video is what happens when a group of wildebeest work together against a far more fierce competitor and adversary. That they can find victory together when they would only find defeat by themselves. Can I tell you, Christians, by ourselves, we are so susceptible to sin and temptation, but when we strive together, when we work together, when we spend time together in humility with one another, we've got an opportunity to beat back the devil. But we need to do it together. You see, the devil wants you to think that you're the only one dealing with your problems. The devil wants you to think you're the only one that's dealing with that temptation. He's whispering in your ear right now, you're the only one with the problem. You're the only one that's a sinner. And then what you do is you keep it all to yourself and you fight the battle by yourself. And what the God's word said is, tell it to one another. Confess your sins one to another. Why? So we can help one another. So we can serve one another. So we can uh, be of great courage and encouragement to one another. I've been told at times by people who have listened to my message, usually pastors, they say, Tim, you're way too transparent in your preaching. Don't tell people that you deal with all the sin that you deal with. The reason why I do it is so I can be a bad preacher, but at least you'll be encouraged. Okay? So you don't sit there and see this perfect individual up there. Let me tell you something. You want to know how perfect I am? Just talk to my mother. Okay? I'm not perfect at all. I've got real issues. I've got real temptations. And I want to be honest about those so that you walk away from this place and know that the devil's fighting against your preacher just as much as he's fighting against you. But here's the truth. You can be victorious. When you stand against the devil's schemes, the idea here is you stand toe-to-toe to the devil. How do you do that? How do you stand toe-to-toe with the devil You do so by fortifying your faith. Notice he says, and we'll finish up here. Just give me a couple more minutes here. It says that we resist him firm in our faith. How do we do that, Peter? Peter's told us. We are reminded that we have been shown God's mercy in 1 Peter. We've been reminded that we've been born again. We remind the devil that we are involved in a new and living hope that we are no longer conformed to the passions of our former ignorance, that Peter has reminded us as Christians that we have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, that we are, because of Jesus and the work he's done in our lives, devil, we are a chosen race, we are a royal priesthood, we are a holy nation, we are a people belonging to God. And because we belong to God, you and I are more than conquerors in Jesus Christ. Because we belong to God, no weapon formed against us will ever prosper. And when you start telling the devil that, James says that when we resist him, he will flee from you. So if the devil isn't fleeing from you, you're not doing something. And what you're not doing is fortifying your faith, reminding the devil the truth of what God says about you and your position in Christ. We belong to God, and we have a great shepherd of the sheep, 
And we are called to be his faithful followers. But to do that, we need to understand one other truth about the devil, and that is our suffering isn't unique. Our suffering isn't unique. Notice verse 9, he says, Resist him, firm in the faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Last week we had Godfrey here. And what I heard from was, Tim, we really miss you. We didn't understand a word that guy shared. He talks funny. You know why we bring people that talk funny to the church? Because they're from a different part of the world, and they love our Jesus. And just because they talk funny... And maybe we don't understand them. That makes us a little bit uncomfortable in our American uh, Christianity where everything has to be just so American for us. We need to be reminded that we're not the only people in the fight. That there are brothers and sisters throughout the world who are enduring far more difficulty, far more issues and struggles than we would ever know. And we need to hear from them. And we need to know what they're doing. And we need to be praying for them because they're showing us what it means to honor God amidst suffering. And so we need to recognize we're not the only ones in this thing. We're not the only ones who've got a part in this battle. But we are side by side, hand in hand, other brothers and sisters who are fighting along the way. That leads us to one final thing. It's a very short point. And that is that, just as my mom taught me, Peter reminds me to carry out my calling. Verse 10 is a verse that I don't want to spend a lot of time breaking out all of the different words I just want us to hear it. And I want you to write down these things. You're going to see, write these points down, that your suffering is temporal. Your suffering is temporal, but God's glory is eternal. And that our position is unshakable. And God's reign is unstoppable. Look at those things very quickly. Wherever you're at this morning, the suffering you're enduring is temporal. There's a day coming where you'll suffer no longer. But what you will endure for the rest of eternity is the precious glory of God. And notice that in your suffering, your position is unshakable. Nothing can take the position you have away because God's reign is unstoppable. I want you to stand up. I want you to close your eyes. I want you to hear these words this morning as we close. Let us stand and let us hear these words. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Father God, we come before you. And Lord, we are enduring suffering. They may be small worries and small anxieties, but Lord, they concern us. Some of us are dealing with some real heartache this morning. Some of us are suffering some real uh, struggles this morning. We know our brothers and sisters in, in some far off lands are enduring incredible hardship, Lord. This world is full of suffering. And yet, Lord, we know this suffering is temporal. But you are eternal. We know, Lord, that these may be light and momentary trials, but your glory is forever, and your glory is powerful, and it's awesome. And, Lord, one day we're going to stand before your throne, and we're going to worship you day and night for all eternity. Lord, we know that this suffering is light and momentary, but we know our position is sure. 
we know that nobody, not even the devil himself, can snatch us out of the Father's hands. And for that, we praise you. And we praise you that the devil, this scary lion who's roaring about, roaming about, seeking who he may gobble up and devour, is but a mere dog on your leash. And so, Lord, we thank you for that. And we thank you that your reign is forever. And one day you will lock up the devil and all his demons and you will throw him into the lake of fire where we will no longer have to deal with him any longer. And so, Lord, when the devil reminds us about our past, Lord, remind us to remind the devil of his future because he's already defeated. And so, Lord, humble us with these words this morning. Remind us that we are your children and without you we can do nothing. So, Lord, thank you for some motherly words from Peter on humility and adversity. And finally, Lord, in the security that allows us to carry out your calling in our lives. Release us from this place, Lord, now into this hard world that we may be bright lights and stars in this world so that people may see our good deeds and glorify God when they visit us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.